Do you have more pictures of your goats than yourself on your phone? Does your vacation time get spent attending goat shows? Can you have a conversation without bringing up dairy goats? Neither can we. So join us as we talk to the country's best breeders, judges, appraisers, and industry experts about all things dairy goats. We are John Kane and Danielle Caroli. Welcome to Ringside, an American Dairy Goat podcast. What's up, everyone, and welcome to Ringside. I'm John, and as always, I'm joined by the Duchess of Duchess County, Danielle Corolli. How's it going? Hello, everyone. <laughs> I'm going to come up with a new one every week. I was thinking that was going to happen, and let's see how this goes. <laughs> how you doing? You doing good? I'm doing well. How about you? Doing all right. Uh, you know, just another crazy week in New York with temperature swings, but, you know, 30 degrees today, 60 degrees tomorrow. Why not? It's going to be amazing. <laughs> yeah, for us, I'm, I'm going to be watching my herd for pneumonia. Well, yeah, that is true. But <laughs> So, uh, Danielle, we have a guest this week. I know. I'm so excited. Oh, so am I. I mean, I can tell you're excited just by all these notes that we've got going on here. But... <laughs> I know. John probably was ready to kill me by the time, every time he got a notification, notes were edited, notes were edited, notes were edited. <laughs> I love it, though. It's just, it could it could turn into a two-parter. Who knows? Uh, but anyway, this week, we're welcoming Stephanie Milberg-Rovey of Grande Ronde Dairy. Is it Grande? Am I am I just like, oh totally gosh. going crazy with that? John, no. So the, the E's are silent. Okay. It's, so it's right. French. Grande Ronde. Rondale, so yeah, E's are silent. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. So Grande Ronde Dairy from go. Eastern Oregon. Uh, Stephanie, alongside her husband and their five boys, have a show and commercial herd of milking goats. Uh, they raise primarily Nubian and Sable with Sonnen's, La Mancha's, Alpines, and more thrown in as well. In 2021, Stephanie traveled to Louisville and her Sable Doe Grand Ronde AC chocolate chip was awarded national champion and best utter. Alongside the dairy, the Rovies also are production farmers focusing on alfalfa, sugar beets, teff grass, sunflower seeds, peas, wheat, and the list goes on. Today, we'll be talking about balancing a production herd and keeping a show herd. Welcome to the show, Stephanie. How's it going? Thank you, guys. It's, it's going good. Like I said, I, I have to legitimately just thank you guys for giving me a reason to lock myself in a room for <laughs> and sit down. So I'm, I'm excited to be here. Thanks. Yeah, I, I'm sure the five boys just keep you real busy. It, it is something special this spring, um, just because everything's opening back up. And I kind of forgot what it was like to have all these activities going. And mm -hmm. um, oh, we're rolling again. We're in we're in everything. So it's almost normal, right? Almost normal. As normal as it can be with five boys. Yeah. In kidding season. <laughs> in kidding season. And everything else that you guys are getting into. Soon you'll be planting everything. Yep. So yeah, it's, it's just, it's the calm before the storm kind of. <laughs> it is. It is. And we had that taste of beautiful weather last week. So we're sending it your way. I appreciate that. Yeah. Hopefully my does appreciate that too. <laughs> so we have a little bit of ad good news to get into uh, before we get to interviewing you. 
Danielle, you want to touch on the uh, first point for Adga News? Yeah, sure. So there was an email sent out, and in that email, um, the updated scorecard has been released with the changes being made to the general appearance category and wording edited within the dairy strength category as well. Stature was removed as a point area from the scorecard and the wording for stature was put into back and dairy strength. The back and the rump category was also separated to each have their own individual area of the scorecard and points assigned to that. And you can find the new scorecard on the Agda website, or sorry, the Adga website, and it will be in the 2022 guidebooks when they are released as well. Do you just flinch every time you say Adga now? Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, that that is something important to read for uh, everybody that is looking to get their animals appraised or wants to want they want to have the uh, updated scorecard there. So I definitely implore everybody to look at that. Uh, I do have two things that I want to touch on real quick. First of all, the sixth national show judge was uh, picked. Jeremy Lesniak has been picked by the committee to be the sixth judge. So congratulations, Jeremy. So that's going to be exciting. And uh, the last bit is probably a surprise for some coming out of my mouth and, and maybe not for others, but uh, you know, I just want to really touch on real quick that social media has been kind of doom and gloom lately as far as on the Adga district pages on Facebook. And, um, you know, everybody is being uh, quite hard on Adga and the staff and the directors and the EC and the ED. Um, and, you know, I'm usually one that all, that takes part in voicing my frustrations and, and probably will some point down the road. Uh, but it's gotten to the point where people have become quite nasty uh, to each other you know, other breeders to, to directors and, and everybody. And it, it's unneeded. Um, there's, there's a point to make as far as using your words and being kind to one another, but it's, it's gotten quite vile, even to the point where directors are attacking each other on social media. And that's just not needed. Um, we're as Nate Funk would say his tagline, we're all in this together. And we need to remain together in this. You know, we're such a small industry as it is uh, for, you know, hobby show farms. Um, yes, of course, obviously there are people that do this commercially and, and for a job, but uh, you know, the, all of us small farms need to realize that, hey, we should really work together on this and, and not against each other. Um, you know, people are fighting about Nigerian dwarf colors and, the Guernsey breeders are upset because they can't register animals. And, and I get all the frustrations, but there's just a point that we got to just be kind, use our words. And, and maybe before you post these say, Hey, would I talk to my mom like this? And, and just, I, I really think that everybody needs to make a conscious effort to be kind to each other and, and really back down. I mean, my God, some of the stuff has been so nasty. So that's my, that's my, uh, my my speech for the week very well said <laughs> a perfectly acceptable soapbox to be on i think I, I mean i think so too i mean like i said usually i'm the one that's out there voicing my frustrations and sure i can get a little bit cantankerous but man some people have just been whew, craziness if it shocks me it's bad 
(laughs) (laughs) But regardless, let's get on to the main topic and and kind of lighten it up a little bit here. Uh, Stephanie, thank you for joining us this week on the show. You Uh, bet. We're we're good. As long as you don't (laughs) quiz me on Nigerian dwarf colors, I am (laughs) here for you. Great. Perfect. (laughs) So, Stephanie, I reached out to you after hearing you on the Shark Farmer podcast. Um, You know, I I loved listening in and and learned a lot about you and your family and and your farm. Um, But I wanted to learn more after after hearing that about your herd. Um, So, as I stated in the intro, you have a production and commercial herd. And a show herd. Uh, can, can we hear a little bit about the history with dairy goats and, and your dairy goat operation? Sure. So I probably have um, one of the most basic, humble beginnings in dairy goats that is possible. So um, when I was 12, my dad got me a Nubian to show in 4-H. Uh, she was unregistered. Um, she was bred. She gave birth to twin does, and that started my 4-H project. Um, when I was 16, I realized that I think there's a registry for these things, and not only that, I think I have a dairy goat. I think I think maybe we're supposed to be milking these things. Um, <laughs> so they're. There was literally, as as supportive as my parents were um, in 4-H in the project, there was no um, knowledge base whatsoever in dairy goats, other than my my stepfather was a Holstein dairy farmer, and my grandparents were farmers. So I I come from central Illinois. I didn't back up and say that. So um, I'm an Illini girl through and through. Um, And in starting that project, I think it was something my parents thought was going to be a phase and that, you know, maybe three years in those things would be gone. And lo and behold, I I got into U of I, I moved to Champaign. I started um, a bachelor's in animal science and my dad was like, my God, these things are still here. And, and not only are they still here, like she won't let me get rid of them. And (laughs) by that time, I I had sort of entrapped my younger sister. She was four years behind me in school. And so I had, um, recruited her sort of to like hold down the fort and got her interested in the whole thing. And, you know, after getting into Illinois and starting the animal science program, I really started um, getting focused on milking and um, actually treating these like the creatures they were intended to be. And not only that, we started finding a lot of joy in uh, the county fairs and Illinois State Fair was in my backyard. That was 20 minutes from my house. And so we started doing the summer circuits of county fairs and um, really as a family started bonding over the project. And so that grew. um, I'm the oldest. Then I've got a sister younger than me and then two brothers under that. So uh, the middle middle brother, Ross, was just kind of there for the pretty face. He, he wrote along, but <laughs> never, never really got into the goats. Um, Reed is now part of the home um, place, Autumn Glory Nubians. And he is just as passionate as my sister and I are about um, the show string and Adga and um, keeping a quality dairy herd going. And so I kind of started this thing that my parents on any given day will tell you um, they can't decide whether to curse it or not because 
you know, at one point it starts taking over when you can go on family vacations and, oh my gosh, the kids are still out there. It's 10 p.m. This whole goat thing, they're bringing boots in the house that are, there's babies in tubs and, you know, things were getting just explosive. And I, if you ask my dad now, um, 30 years later, he is still in shock that the goats exist and have, have managed to keep going for 30 years. So it was really a, a trial by error for me. Um, I read a lot. I was self-taught for quite a bit. I, I have killed off a lot of animals accidentally in many various ways. And, you know, over 30 years, that is, I, I wish that I would have had um, some of the great mentors that I know are out there now. And I think that for all of the evils and the, um, the parts that we don't like about social media, there are some great advantages to it because youth can find support and there are different forums and groups and they can ask questions and um, get pointed in the right directions. And so we, we really didn't have that um, when I was growing up. Here, here. So I'm, I am a proponent of Facebook, if nothing else, for the groups that we all get to be in. And, and I know the conversations can get tilted and nasty, but they can also be super enlightening. And so, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so that was my my humble start. And then I took it a step further and got a master's at University of Arizona in dairy science. And so when I literally moved 2,000 miles away, I can still remember the night my dad called and he's like, I'm, I have to breed these things still. I mean, they're, they're still here. And yes, your sister is here. But like, you're legitimately thinking that you're going to come get them someday. And I said, yeah, I am absolutely going to come get them someday. Not today, but someday. <laughs> yeah. So a lot, of, a lot of begging, a lot of like, you know, can you just go pick up this buck? I found a buck. Can, it's like two hours away. Can you just go pick it up, Dad? And, and they did, and he did, and they kept it going. Um, and after I graduated Arizona, I moved and worked in the dairy industry in Central California. So I was up and down the San Joaquin Valley um, working on cow dairies. And somewhere in there, um, I got engaged. And in 2004, we moved back to Arizona. My husband is an Arizona boy, and his family farm um, was there outside of Phoenix. And at that point, so spring 2004, I made a phone call and I said, dad, we're coming for the goats. And like, you could hear angels singing in the background. <laughs> like it was just like, oh my God, they're coming for them. They're going to take them. So, um, it's happening. <laughs> it's a pure shock. Like this, this, yeah. So, you know, I went to, I left for university of Illinois in 1996 and this was 2004. So they held on to that base core herd for me for eight years which which is amazing amazing. That's amazing that was amazing yeah and and by that time i had sufficiently um entrapped my sister and my brother was coming up the ranks so they by the time i got there with the trailer um you know there were full on tears trying to decide like who's leaving and who's staying because at that point uh trying to divide up the herd there was interest at home at that point so um, my sister didn't want to let go of all of them. And so we split it in half and half came out to Arizona um, and half stayed in Illinois. And we were in Arizona another extra year 
when the opportunity presented itself um, for us to move to La Grande, Oregon. So that also sounds like a crazy big jump, and it was. But when you looked at all of the water issues that we're already facing, um, where we were trying to farm, the urban pressure that was already developing, uh, there's going to be mm. 6,000 houses around the home place within the next two years. Um, so we decided to take the opportunity, um, take on a massive mortgage with parental support and moved up to Northeast Oregon. Now, were any of your goats that were in Illinois and then went to Arizona, did any of them make that trip up to Oregon or were they? They did. They did. So the shock for these goats, they were like, oh man, we just retired and went to Arizona. This is gorgeous. And then all of a sudden, (laughs) boom, wet weather. (laughs) It's like, hey girls, remember winter? We are back in it. So like, I know you know how to do this. We just need to, just need to. Pull up our big gore shorts and remember how to do January and February. But yeah, it it was, I was actually um, terrified when I moved them in March of 2004. It was 20 degrees when we left in Illinois and we arrived in Phoenix and it was 90. And it was, I was terrified that I was going to lose them to the heat, but you know, they were Nubians. I had all Nubians at that time and I way underestimated their ability to absorb the sun. They were, they acclimated very quickly. Um, and then the fun part was I got to to start going to some shows that summer, that fall, really, I shouldn't say summer. There's no shows in summer, spring and fall and learn a different style of management down there and, you know, how they um, get through that extreme heat and when people kid and when the shows are and, you know, Maricopa County Fair is in April, which was just mind blowing to me. What what are we doing? It's a county fair in April. This isn't. Yeah, this that's, isn't that's normal, a false but, but it, Yeah, yeah, but it's but it was great, and so I loved getting to meet the Arizona breeders. Um, the one thing I regret is just that we didn't live down there super long for me to establish the camaraderie that that I would have down there if I lived there longer, but. I got to meet some amazing people. So yeah, yeah. lots of good Arizona breeders. And then um, we drug them up here in the, in May of 2005. And this, this was it. This was home and this is where they stayed. Now you guys had a beef operation up there. We did. And, and you made a, you made a decision to, uh, switch over to something that might be a little bit more profitable for your farm. And, and what did that process look like? So I, well, when we started in 2005, um, we had about 1500 acres in alfalfa. And so it kind of, all of a sudden we realized it made great sense to get something that would consume the alfalfa that didn't make the cut to sell. So the, not even just feeder hay, but like the rained on nasty, feeder hay that, you know, just, we didn't want to put our name on. So mm-hmm. um, we got, we got beef cows in 2007 and I, I basically spent like a decade pregnant, right? So, you know, from 2005 <laughs> to 2013, I was giving birth every other year for a long time. And um, it was, it was great fun 
to put together this beef herd. And we were doing things that I felt like used my animal science background and management skill set. And we were really good at what we did. We were doing um, embryo transfer. We were offering recips, um, ultrasounding ribeye and all kind of fun stuff using data management programs. Uh, we did everything AI. And then the cows got a total of three cycles to settle. If they didn't, they were gone just because we needed a narrow calving window um, in order to fit it into the farming cycle as well. But mm-hmm. it wasn't, I had to say this, I love the cows, but dairy is my passion. So even though I got to do all of that great work with the cows, at the end of the day, it was still missing. You know, if it's in your blood, it is in your blood. And it was, it was yes. still missing the dairy factor. So um, in 2015, I, and I think I told this story on Shark Farmer. It sounds a little bit terrible when I say it out loud, but I, I took a load of does to meet a buyer who had a contract to ship milk. Um, and he was from Idaho. And I met the man and it just made me sad. He, he had absolutely no professionalism. He knew nothing, next to nothing about um, husbandry for the, for the does. He was asking me all sorts of questions about what I did. Um, to treat this and to treat that. And what do you feed fresh does? And I mean, my head was spinning. Red flags. Oh, I just, I was like, you, you have a contract, right? Like you're making money shipping milk and they come and pick it up. And he's like, yeah, yeah. And I was like, okay, you got to tell me, you know, where you're shipping to. And he didn't want to tell me. And I was like, you know what? I'm not putting these does in this trailer. So you share with me where you're shipping to. And of course I went home and I was, you know, I talked to my husband quite a bit. Um, I ended up sending an email and I said, Hey, if you are looking for production herds in this area, um, I would be interested in speaking with you about what you're offering. And I got a phone call and I met with them um, very next Sunday in Boise. And we had a green light like within two weeks. And so at that point, they're telling you that, yes, we would be happy for you to ship milk with us. But then it was up to us to sit down. And of course, all the butterflies happen and you're all excited and you're like, oh, my God, somebody somebody is actually going to buy our milk. And um, but then it comes back to what I think a lot of us is goat people um, lose focus of when we start a business with our goats. It's not just about being out in the barn with the goats, taking care of our goats, milking the goats. Right. We know how to do all that. It's, it's actually coming back. And in order for this to pencil out, you actually have to have a business plan. Um, you need to have an idea of your ability to absorb loss. You need, uh, you know, where's the money coming from? Are we going to get a loan for this? Or will we be able to get an operating line for it? What is the actual return on investment? Um, and when we sat down and penciled it out, it became clear to us actually that if I could do this, if I, if I could do what I thought I could do with it, there was a better margin on the dairy than there were on beef cattle. And I think that shocked my husband, but we, we went through the math two or three times. And at the time, um, we had a cowboy full-time 
And even though beef prices were good in 2015, that was an epic year. Like they, they had nowhere to go but down, um, which they've done. They, they have never gone back up to what they were in 2015. So it kind of made sense to us that, you know, we can move, we can't move garbage hay through the goats, but we can move alternative hay through the goats. We can definitely mm-hmm. do um, late cuttings. We can still get regrowth off in the fall that we can bale up and make into haylage. And, you know, they still fit very well into the whole scheme. So we took the plunge in 2015. We had um, my show barn that's here behind my house. We actually had this up to grade A parlor status in four weeks. Oh, wow. Um, And that, like, I have you ever seen the light reading that is the pasteurized milk ordinance. You guys ever seen that? Binder? Oh, light reading is uh, putting it mildly. I think when you start looking at it, a few trees just get cut down just so you can get the table of contents. Yeah. It's, it's like more weight than I can pick up on a regular day, like at the gym. It's, it is <laughs> massive. And um, they're not kidding around like every, everything down to where you place your lights above your bulk tank is regulated. Um, what type of lights you put in your drains, I mean, down to inches of slope on your concrete, everything is regulated. And so, yeah, it, at first it was a little daunting, you know, when we got that binder, um, I was like, I, wow. Ooh. Okay. So we, we need to like start seeing if this is actually something we can do. And the inspector came out and, um, your inspector becomes your best friend because they, mm-hmm. they literally, or your worst enemy, but <laughs> or your worst enemy. you need, you need to not make them your worst enemy. They need to be your best friend because they control your ability to ship out product. And yeah, um, so he visited frequently and, um, you know, once you're done with the PMO, like once you've, you've let that assault all of your senses, then there's the CAFO. And so like we got through getting all of the, um, permitting and like getting the facility itself up to grade A standard. And then in pops this thing, okay, but you know, you need a CAFO permit, right? And what? what is a CAFO permit for everyone? So so a CAFO permit is confined animal feeding operation. And in the state of Oregon, if you run a grade A dairy, it does not matter if you are milking 25 or 2,500. You need a CAFO. Um, so that is, for us, it was a 150-page document. Um, your waste management plan takes up a lot of that. Mm-hmm. But... Um, it's, it's some real work. So when I say that, you know, you need, if you're going to go into business and be self-employed, um, and do this, there is a lot of time that has to be spent in your office as well and making phone calls. And there's the day-to-day chores, but there's this whole other facet that launches onto your plate, um, that you never expected. So, so yeah, we started we started milking in my backyard. Um, we had to rapidly get up to 200 head because at that point we didn't have to pay shipping. 
Ah, um, uh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so they would pick us up for free if we were milking 200 head. And, you know, you beggars can't be choosers. When you choose to do this um, and you have to rapidly assimilate to 200 head, you know, you don't always get to go and pick all of the genetics that you would put in for, for your core herd. It was kind of like, okay, so we've launched into this. I now need to get up to 200. Um, a lot of those original animals that we took in, there are still some here, but most of them have, have cycled through and we've, we've upgraded our genetic base significantly. But um, that first summer was just a steep learning curve. Um, as far as even what we're feeding them. So we, we started with this, you know, pipe dream of feeding them bagged grain. And I look back now, I'm like, what were you thinking? What were you thinking? (laughs) (laughs) Bagged grain for 200 goats? Terrible, terrible. Yeah, terrible. Um, because I really liked what this one feed company had and it only came in bagged and it it just, oh my God, no, no. So (laughs) no. Um, just a lot of refinement, um, has happened over the last seven years in in the entire process here. But yeah, it was very labor intensive too, because my show barn is a 1910, um, one of those just original, like you would think of the big red barn. It's got a great hayloft, um, old wooden barn. Well, it was never meant to milk through 250 goats efficiently. So, you know, we had, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we had, we had somebody milking, but then, um, outside we had people who were pushing up the goats into the alleyway and then they were cleaning the concrete, um, around the feed books and everything by hand. So while the goats were getting milked, we had employees with literally shovels, pitchfork and wheelbarrow moving manure out of the loafing areas by hand, um, not so much, not the where they were bedded, but we had to clean around where the feed bunks were, or it just built up terribly mm-hmm. without any head. So just really labor intensive. And around 2017, um, this farm is basically a prototype. So if we can make it cash flow, if the contracts seem steady, if this all seems real, um, we will go ahead and invest, take out a massive mortgage and build this thing like it should be built to milk a commercial herd. And Mm -hmm. in 2017, we decided, okay, you know what? We, we are happy doing this. It's giving us joy. Um, the contracts are stable. The company is for real. And so we went ahead and signed away our firstborn. And (laughs) so, I, I mean, there's, there's no like independently wealthy, um, patron behind this. It, we, no, we, no. Yeah. You know, we have, we have mortgages. We have real mortgages to do all this. And um, yeah, so we, we bit the bullet and we put in um, the barn next door. Okay. So. so you have this brand new barn that's housing 250 plus goats. Yep. And then do you keep, I know I'm I'm jumping into questions here, but uh, do you keep the show herd at the old farm, the old barn, or do you yes. intermingle? Or yeah. so no, so that the show the showgirls are my hobby, and they are in my backyard 
Um, so you really have to like goats, right? Because I, I wake up in the morning, um, just like everybody else that has a day job, I don't have employees handling or running my show herd at all. So I, I wake up, I go outside, I milk out my does. I come back in the house. I wake up five kids to go to school. Um, we we get breakfast, we eat, I drop them at school. I come back. The, The kid milk is then pasteurized and ready to feed. I feed back my show babies. Um, and then I can go start the rest of the day job with the other goats after all that's done. And you know, it's just the same as everybody else. It's rinse and repeat at night. It's it's the same thing at night. Um, so, so where do you hang your cape at night? Because <laughs> myself with my tiny little herd, my my daughter, poor Alice, looks like a mess some mornings when I take her over to her grandparents before I take myself to work. I mean, my goodness, you literally must have a cape. Like, that's a lot. How I so my kids look great. The, the roles are reversed. My kids look great. I look like that hot mess mom. I mean, do not ask me to get out of this truck. I mean, we've we've had um, <laughs> we've had words when the kids get out and they they're fighting or somebody's doing something, and I'm like, if you make me get out of this truck this morning, I I am gonna hurt you right now. I mean, I am in boots. I am covered in manure. Do not make mommy get out of this truck in this line of cars. Okay. So the kids always look put together, but it's me. It usually looks like a disaster area. Um, but yeah, it just, you have to, you have to love it and have the passion for it enough to, to run it on both angles and then give yourself grace and forgiveness. So like I might milk the show herd at six thirty in the morning and then, if our nights are crazy, those girls might get milked at four. Like as soon as I get the kids picked up, okay, we've got X, Y, and Z going on tonight. Um, you know, there's no 12 hours tonight. It's not a 12 hour thing tonight. They're getting milked out at four because that is when I can put it in. Mm-hmm. Okay. So do my, I do my best, but the, the show herd does not always get a 12 and 12. They, they get it as I can when, you know, it might be 630 and four, but um, and and in that, I I have to rely a lot on my employees in the mornings for the mornings at the dairy at the commercial dairy. They are my lifesaver because um, if things absolutely go sideways and for whatever reason we don't have a morning milker over there, um, it's it's a rough start to the day. Like. At that point, I've got children missing school because, you know, I'll I'll drop them off late because it's like, okay, Tanner is 14. Um, He is my kid so far who's most interested in the goats. And so, you know, if something happens and mama has to milk next door, you got to get up, you got to milk that show herd. And then I will bring you guys to school as I can, when I can. So So what does a typical ideal day with you know, with the running the commercial dairy um, and the crop farm look like for you and your employees? <laughs> it's, oh my gosh. Well, so it's, um, there's different chaos every routine day, right? So it's <laughs> every, every day is the same yet has its own special chaos. Um, it kind of, it kind of depends on equipment all working. Um is there an ice storm? Like, did the U-joint just break on the mixer wagon? Um, did, it, it, every day varies, but um, 
like yesterday, I'll give you yesterday. So I woke up, I milked the show goats, um, come back inside, get the kids dressed, um, out the door, back and fed babies here by 830. Uh, yesterday was payday. So then I had to run to both the farm and the dairy, add up hours, uh, submit payroll to the accountant. Um, then I had a meeting at 11.30 with a hay broker, and we were going over um, new crop prices, depending on what we would have available in May and June. Um, I think I ate something at one, and then I ran... <laughs> I ran in and got payroll picked up from the accountant. I had to run to the feed store. I ran by the vet clinic and picked up 300 doses of Calvary 9. Um, I ran back, grabbed the kids at 3.30, milked out the show goats at 4, started supper. Then I had a meeting at 7 over Zoom for our county's um, farm crawl event. And then I was on night watch um, for the pregnant pen right now that we're kidding out. So I ran over there and checked on the sun and it was dilating really, really slow. And then um, I was over there till about 10 and then I fell asleep on the couch. So that was, that was yesterday. Boy. It just, just depends. So you're, you, it, it's, yeah, that's, I mean, every farm's different, right? And, yeah. and every, I should say every day on the farm's different too. Um, so there's always going to be a variation to the day. It kind of makes it uh, lively, right? You never know what's exactly. going to happen. And, uh, yeah. I, I did see a post on your farm page of you checking your girls that were close to kidding with a nice glass of Pinot. Uh, fabulous. Yes. Yeah, that's, it's the perfect yeah. way to check them. So uh, it's probably yeah. a perk of living in Oregon too, right? Um, it's a perk <laughs> of having friends on the west side of Oregon. So Lori Acton's husband, John, drove over. And um, he brought with him two lovely bottles of reds that they had gone to some some small wineries and picked up and it made my night. So, yeah, that was it's a perk of having some friends on the west side. Where all the good vineyards are. Well, how so how's kidding season going for you guys so far with the commercial and show herds? We're we're good. I did something this year. I. I was hating myself last week, but um, it's starting to starting to pan out. So we are currently kidding out a pen of 280 at the dairy, and we're about 70 deep into that. Um, those girls started the last weekend of January. Um, they've got about a month to go, so about 210 left. Um, hmm. Only 210. For that, <laughs> for that pen. Um, for that pen too. Yeah. Not just <laughs> the whole that, season. That pen. We, we did a small, we started out slow over there with a group of um, 50 first fresheners in January and it kind of eased us in. And then we've got this group of 280 that started the last week of January. And then we've got 200 yearlings um, that'll come in April and May. Yeah. So what I was hating is I decided to go ahead and sync up my show herd and just kind of knock it out um, at once. And so I bred 34 over here at the house. Um, I'm done with all but five. And I don't know, that might've been a little much. It, it might've been a little much at one time, but 
We're, we're rolling now. Babies are on land bars. The 30, the 30 is a little much, but not the 210 <laughs> of one pen. It, it is, honestly. The, because you're you're breaking, you're by yourself. I mean, this is, you know, I got Tanner yeah. and I, but it's, you're trying to get um, Nubians, first freshening Nubians to figure out the parlor over here. And, um, you know, there's a huge difference in the, time it takes like once the girls over here are up and rolling and have life figured out and uh chores take an hour and a half compared to you know two and a half hours or three hours over here um on the hobby side so yeah well you know i could always introduce you to my lord and savior over hostly Uh, (laughs) they they figure it out quite quick (laughs) so i probably shouldn't say this too loud but uh, because my family will disown me but I, I did discover in this entire adventure there there are easier goats to own than Nubians. Um, <laughs> say that. Wait, can you? Can, I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you. Can you say that <laughs> a little bit louder? <laughs> They're my. They were my first love, but I have discovered there are others. <laughs> I understand that. I love my Nubians, and I have to say, mine do not have quite the same drama I see in other herds but when you start working with other breeds and you realize really quickly the perks of the other breeds and what their personalities bring to the table and you understand why some people love the Nubians and why some people love the other breeds as well yes yes I liked your box of chocolates episode um, from last it was very accurate I was laughing it was very accurate (laughs) We're glad you enjoyed it. Now I have a question and I hate asking this because I, this always feels like a gun to my head when with my herd and I know my number is probably not even close to yours, but when we're talking about what's going on in your commercial dairy and what's going on in your show barn, what's a rough number just so we can picture of how many animals are we talking about on your farm? Sure. So um, the show herd, like I said, I bred 34 over here. So I I will watch these and probably dwindle it down maybe maybe to 2025 um, that we'll actually get to stay here. And then um, on the commercial side, when we get everybody freshened out um, in May, we will be milking 1150. With, well. with 300... Um, kids retain this year for replacements that's uh that's that's a sizable herd so what if what we're our goal is um i try what going forward here we're going to try to not have to breed more than a third of the herd a year on the commercial side so like this year we Uh, had 600 does milking through that's amazing there's there's a pen of 300 senior does milking through, and then there's a pen of 300 um, that would have been first fresheners last year, and they are holding that lactation, milking through, and they won't kid again until they're three. Wow. Well, so my my mind immediately goes to um, obviously, uh, it, it seems like you're breeding seasonally, but. But at the same time, you're milking through, so maybe you know. So you're changing it up. Um, my my mind immediately goes to what kind of bucks are you using on these does? Are you are, 
is it just an open pen breeding um, for a group? You put 10 bucks in with a group of 100 or whatever it might be. Uh, what's that look like? Yeah. So um, as far as bucks go, okay, well, let me back up. I, I think the funnest thing about this um, facility for me is that it is literally a culmination of so many legacies in our association. I mean, I, I am honored to get to take everybody's lifelong breeding programs and like put them to work. And so it is, it makes me so happy um, to walk in that barn and know all of the different herds that have contributed to what we're doing here. And so the bucks that we use are registered ADGA. Um, a lot of them are casein tested because we're on a protein based contract. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. So we get, yeah. okay. Um, we get just to give you a rough idea. I'm not going to give you all my contract details, but we, we get $11 and 85 cents per pound of protein base and we get 40 cents per pound of fat. So when we're talking about what keeps the lights on, it's protein. Yeah. Like so. Protein. Um, so because of that, we want to make sure that we're using herd sires that not only have persistency, but that are also high in protein. Mm-hmm. So That's yeah, interesting. The, the bucks that we bring in um, are from herds that are focusing on production and protein alleles. Wow. Okay. And how many bucks do you typically run on your farm? So, um, oh, I'll go back to, to your first question. I take the opportunity to sync up. Um, I have the most enthusiasm for breeding. I kind of like everybody in the beginning of the season, right? Like <laughs> in, in the beginning, if I'm going to AI anything, um, it needs to come up front because by the time we get into, you know, October, November, I'm, I'm waning, I'm lacking. So I try to do um, right around Labor Day, maybe a little, depending on the year, um, August, first part of September, I sync up 50 does that I really want offspring from on the commercial side, whether it's because we would like to keep herd sires from them, or if it's because um, it's a registered doe that I just want to keep bred true, then we'll sync those up. Um, we'll AI whatever we feel like AIing, or we will hand breed um, to specific bucks that we want them crossed to. Okay, so that happens first. That's the first 50 or so, roughly 50. Um, After that, we move into whatever pen we're breeding. Those are pen bred. Those are pen bred with high production protein allele carrying bucks and at that point, I really don't care who gets bred to what. We will we will pick bucks that we know have not bred that group of goats, um, so that they're not, you know, they're not mother sunning it or anything like that, or sister offspring anything like that. Um, mm-hmm. But otherwise, I truly don't care. <laughs> I, I do not care. So, um, what pays the bills is is milk. And if it's an Alpine Nubian cross, those are sturdy, vigorous, um, go for it girls. So yeah, it's, it's been a little bit of a 
change in perspective, right? Coming from the show side. Um, but one that I am happily making because when I walk in the barn and I see those vigorous crossbreds just working their hearts out, I, I don't mind um, mixing them up. We'll keep true what we really want to keep true. But after that, we got to make money. Right. Yeah, it's a business. Now, so your show herd is registered, and I know you've mentioned, you know, having registered animals in that commercial herd. Is most of your commercial herd registered, or if not, how are you tracking them? No. So most of, well, first of all, every animal in that barn has an RFID. And when we take tour groups through, I tell the kids, you know, they've all got an earring in their left ear. And our parlor is really cool because it reads every doe, every milking when she comes on. Um, We use Dairy Plan software, which is not the most user-friendly software, but it is what talks from our GIA parlor to our computer. Um, So it's, we're stuck with the the Dairy Plan. Not that we couldn't add something like Dairy Comp 305 or PC Dart in there, but we are bound to the Dairy Plan, um, at least to run equipment and such. So the does um, read every time they go in, we get a milk weight. We have ICAR approved meters and that uploads milk weights morning and night for every single animal. Um, it also gives us milk conductivity morning and night. Um, wow. I can type in any RFID number, the last four digits, and bring up everything you've ever wanted to know about that doe. So last kidding, last uh, vaccinations, everything. that kind of deal. Yeah. Yep. If they are registered, their registration number goes in. Um, I can bring up their sire and dam registration number, um, their progeny is recorded in there, um, lactation curves, ev- everything you ever want to know about her. It's awesome. So I, I've seen something similar with um, Sandy Brock up in Canada with her sheep where she has the RFIDs that is a chip. And, uh, or maybe it might be an ear tag and, uh, she can pull it up, you know, she can scan it and pull it up right on a tablet. Is that kind of like what you're working with? Yes. So we also have a wand. So if you're out in the barn, um, you can just point it at the dough and it'll buzz and bring her right up. Cool. That's awesome. So, which it's, it's really handy. Um, now that we've got the hang of it, it took us a couple years to do not get me wrong. We, when we started, um, they basically came over, helped assemble our parlor, and got back on a plane and left. There was no, um, <laughs> there was no manual for this thing. There was no giant oh, instruction God. book. It was um, kind of a self-guided tour of of wow. learning how to use things, um, particularly on the software. There was absolutely no one who came in and said, "This is how you use the software that ties." your parlor to your animals to to everything you're doing um they were like yeah so you know there's a couple webinars a year um you know i i think that there's this like lady in chicago if you call this number oh my god god. it's not a cheap parlor like what yeah yeah what (laughs) what (laughs) so uh it's taken us it has taken us this long to really figure out how to use our software correctly, how to create lists, how to filter, um, how to get it to talk with the RFID readers. And I mean, it's, it's taken us years, three years. 
um, oh my goodness, to I mean, really figure it all out. Wow. But, I mean, I mean, let's let's talk about that parlor real quick because uh, you do have a, a rotary milk parlor, uh, and even though it didn't come with instructions, uh, <laughs> how how many does can be milked at once, and and when did you decide to go that route versus like a stanchion parlor? So when we were looking in, in 2017, when we were really um, looking at how we were going to design this, we actually flew to New Zealand and looked at a lot of the different equipment. I don't know if you guys have ever been to New Zealand, but it's like the dairy equipment mecca. It is mm-hmm. so cool. Um, and we're probably you know one of the few people that fly in to like look at Waikato and Gia, like we're not, we're not off like touring all of the other stuff. We're, we just spent <laughs> not days. visiting the Lord of the Rings. Uh, yes. I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> yes. Like we, we came in and like adjusted to time and then started looking at dairy equipment. Um, the recurring theme that they have down there is just, they are the masters of efficiency. And what I knew to be true is that no matter what staff we had, no matter no matter if we had a full roster of milkers, there comes the day when we get the last minute phone calls and my family has to milk. It happened last weekend. We had a call in um, 4.25 p.m. and the shift starts prepping at 4.30. So, oh my goodness. Yeah, it's and, and you know, these are like the days that we are prepared for. This is why we went this route. Um, and everybody has to evaluate what their own strengths and weaknesses are, right? Like every every single dairy has its own advantages and disadvantages. And um, one of our advantages is my husband is a master mechanic. And so he's super capable at fixing um, intricacies that, that get wrong, you know, whether a, a sensor fails or um, wiring fails or whatever it might be. And... What we knew on this rotary is that we we put in a 60 stall um, so we can milk 60 does at a time. And that equates to 300 an hour. So it's efficient. It's, it's super efficient. And like Friday night, um, when my 14 year old took the shift, he started very unexpectedly, you know, got dropped off at 430 and he was home eating supper at 8 p.m. after milking. Um, I think we are at 750 right now is what we have fresh and milking. So, hmm. I mean, now this is 60 head can fit in this. Is it, uh, is it the one that, well, there's some that take like 10 minutes to make a full circle. Is that kind of the time frame no, that you we, guys are using? No, we take, we load a new dough every 3.8 seconds. So, and we have an external, which means that um, the udders face the outside. So they just continue to ride around. If they're a doe that takes 15 minutes to milk out, Uh they, they just stay locked in her RFID. um, The automatic takeoff will not release her and she will just go on around again. Okay. Couple, couple rounds on the merry-go-round. Couple rounds. Do you have a lot that do that or are they a quick um, call on, in your herd or? We don't mind them. Um, I don't mind if they're, you know, it's different if they are just a slow milker milking out like five pounds or are you a 20 pound doe who legit takes 15 minutes to milk out? Um, 
I love those doughs. I mean, they're 20 pound doughs. So it, it doesn't mind. It doesn't matter if they take 15 minutes to milk out. They just keep going around. That makes sense. But so what would be cofactors um, in your commercial herd? What are kind of the things that say, okay, we're moving on with, we're not using you anymore in our herd? So initially, um, it was definitely if they can't hold a lactation, uh, that just started being our, our right off the top. Um, if that dough freshens in January and we get to August and September and she is drying herself off, done, gone. Um, we have since moved on to factors like personality. Like if you're going to kick us in the face, you, you are out of here. It doesn't matter you know, how much you're milking. If you can't get along with people, then, then you're out of here. Um, <laughs> yeah. If you're, if you're a biter, you're out of, if you're biting your friends in the, in the circle yard, in the holding pen, then you're out of here. Um, but yeah, milk, milk production at this point, persistency and lactation is what we're looking for primarily. Yeah. Yeah. I could imagine that's probably a, a big hitter there. I mean, the more production, the more money. I mean, again, business, right? Yeah. Like, like I said, we're trying to not have to breed every doe every year. So it's, it takes a lot of pressure, um, off the staff, not having to kid out every doe every year. It takes pressure off finding homes for that many kids that we don't want to retain. Right. Yeah, for sure. I, I want to switch it up. Um, Real quick, because, listen, this happened on Shark Farmer where you didn't get to talk about nationals, and that was such a crime. I'm sorry, I did <laughs> And, and um, so I want to switch it up to the show side. You made the long trek to Louisville last year, and you came home with a national champion. Uh, can we hear about the journey to nationals and the highlights and with, you know, Chocolate Chip herself and, and everything? Sure. Oh, my gosh. So that – um, that day was one of the most memorable, probably, you know, of my life looking back just because there was so much support, um, and friends behind you around the ringside. It was just, it was amazing, but I don't know if you, have you guys done much long hauling? Uh, we're very lucky in the Northeast where long, a long haul is four hours. Okay. <laughs> so, oh my God. That's, yeah. I can't get to club shows in four hours. Yeah, um, no, Four hours for a club show is pushing it where we are. Yeah. But. <laughs> we're very lucky. We know this. <laughs> oh my gosh. You guys are spoiled. So we are. Um, yeah. being, being from Illinois though, that, that route home, that I 80 is kind of, I know it like the back of my hand. So um, we took off with two children. I put three on an airplane um, with my mom because I just, I can't handle trying to get show does across the country and like kids kicking each other in the back of the seat. I just, I know what I can handle. And three of those kids had to go. So <laughs> um, short straws. They, the three youngest, I was, I sent them ahead um, on an airplane with my parents. And then um, the two oldest started out the journey with me. I don't know if you guys heard about um, what we dealt with in June up here in the Pacific Northwest, but we had an unprecedented heat dome. So the day that we left, it was 117. Um, yeah. And we, we had this heat dome for almost three weeks. So these trying to keep these does 
um, from wilting. And it, you know, it was touch and go for a while. You're like, oh my God, it's, it is 117. We're trying to milk three times a day um, to keep production up to make this 2000 mile one way trip. But we did it. Um, I left with my 14 year old and my 16 year old. Uh, day one in, the 16 year old was puking in the truck. Oh no! Um, you know, so like that. That was that was the start of the whole trip, and you're like, oh, 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 what have I done? But you know, then um, long hauling is an art form, and it's some of my PNW District Seven um, friends are just the best at it, and so I feel super blessed to have been mentored by them. Um, along the way. And we did take off a little bit early. Uh, they followed a couple weeks behind. I went ahead and spent some time at home. Um, it was debatable whether that was going to be a, a good game plan or not. But when you haul west to east, um, east to west is much easier. And I, I there's just factors. Uh, you lose humidity, you lose carnivorous bugs, and you get better hay as you go west. Mm. Um, that is true. West to east, you get out at Sydney, Nebraska, and all of a sudden um, you're dripping in sweat. And, um, you know, I think I got 50 mosquito bites on me at one point, like getting out, getting gas in the dark. And so there's this whole set of challenges that present themselves um, in long trips. And then they were kind of exacerbated by COVID and um, the fact that people were starting to move and all of a sudden there were like lines for fuel that were 45, 50 minutes long to get diesel. Um, but we made it, we made it home and we decided to hang out there a couple weeks ahead of time. And um, I am just blessed that Chocolate Chip decided that she didn't hate the Midwest. Um, I hauled lots of hay from home. Um, three-quarter ton bale of pea hay and a three-quarter ton bale of alfalfa um, so that I could make it through that whole period. And she just took right off eating, drinking um, once we got there. And she laid low for about two weeks there in Illinois. And my parents are a four-hour drive. So uh, we pulled into Louisville, only having a four-hour drive on them from that point. And, awesome. Um she just, she didn't skip a beat. And I just, there's, there's years where maybe it wasn't in your plan to, to long haul or to do that trip, but like years where the does tell you, this is my year. And, um, for me last year, that's what she was telling me. This is my year. So well, I got she, what I could. she looked amazing and the camaraderie of your trip, you know, seeing, you know, uh, Dr. Atkin and, and everybody uh, come together and help show and prep. Uh, it's really inspiring. And, and it looked like you guys had just a wonderful time. I mean, obviously winning is, you know, uh, the chocolate chip on top of the muffin. Right. But it, uh, yeah. it, it wasn't even <laughs> what made it so memorable though. Like you just said, it was, it was everybody just throwing down their time and talent to help me. Yeah. And then you showed with your siblings as well. Is this the first time in the recent years that you've shown with them? Um, this is definitely the first time that we weren't hauling like pack and plays 
and <laughs> like strollers. And um, I would say it's it was the first time that we were actually back to being competitive um, as a family, literally where there weren't babies on our hips and, um, you know, other things. Distractions. Distracting yeah. us. Yeah. Yep. So... Yeah. My brother changed all that, though. My sister and I, our youngest, are both eight. And then my brother just had a new baby in January. So we're back oh. to the pack and play. It'll... <laughs> so you guys are sitting there going neener, neener, as you're yeah. able to freely do whatever with the children and that you can say, oh, hey, go do this. And meanwhile, he's got the baby hit yeah. on the hip. So exactly. Yeah. exactly. <laughs> so no, it was it was amazing um, just to have the whole family there. And then, um, like I said, the, the Northwest community is absolutely incredible. And it was awesome to watch District 7 come home, you know, with the Sable, the Sonnen, the Nubian, the Tagenberg, the La Mancha. It was just incredible. Yeah. Yeah. So. It, it, you guys, I mean, listen, we all know the West Coast has always gotten that crown. But uh, listen, East Coast is coming for you guys. I'm just saying. <laughs> you need to come out to Redmond next year. Oh yeah, uh, I'll try to. I'll try to talk my wife into that. That'll be great. Beautiful um, mountains. You'd be fine. You just hook up that RV, tow the trailer behind it, and you'd be fine. You could make it. Well, listen, Danielle. If you go, I'll go. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> Deal. <laughs> You guys, you guys need to do it. You can take a tour. Come see me at the dairy, and then you know we can caravan over to Redmond. Yeah. I won't want to leave if I go take a tour of your facilities. Are you kidding me? You I'm gonna, I'm gonna say books. I'm not going home to what I have after seeing this. Actually, the funniest, um, the worst, the worst trip I've ever had, vehicle-wise, um, trying to make it to a nationals was the 2019 nationals in Oregon. So um, I, I tend to have much better luck on a long haul. Um, I, it, was, it was terrible. Like at one point we had to trade out vehicles. We left a, a three-quarter ton bale of hay on the side of the road. So um, What? Yeah. Oh, was <laughs> well, you were probably prepared as in, oh, okay, if I need anything, it's five hours away or yes. whatever versus the, all right, I am driving 2,000 miles cross country if this goes wrong i need to be prepared and so your level of preparation i'm sure was probably in some regards much more laid back when it was just you know in your home state versus halfway across the country it was woeful yeah i will i will do better next year we will know (laughs) see that's funny tyranny and i were just talking about getting the rv service today and i was like "Eh, it's only to harrisburg but now i'm like I guess I better get that thing serviced correctly. And so much can me. go wrong. So yeah. much can go wrong. <laughs> Here is the sign that, yes, you need to get it serviced. Yeah, the ringside tour bus. Exactly. Right. Yeah. and then Put it on the business account. Exactly. <laughs> Write it off. <clears throat> um, Stephanie, I have we have about a million more questions to ask you. So I am going to say it on here now. Uh, we're going to have to have a part two with you. Okay. At, sure. at some point um, sure. i i just there's so much to ask and i mean literally we went through maybe maybe half of them uh well, <laughs> there's just so much there, with the show herd and the commercial herd it's like there's just so many questions bouncing inside and out of our brains right now I, I do not have all the answers but we we try our best um 
every day. We just try to represent the industry as best we can, um, give it a level of professionalism that it deserves, and just show up and learn everything we can every day. I, And I appreciate that. I mean, obviously we see... Uh, the hobby farms and everything where, uh, you know, you're getting goopy kid pictures and maybe not the best uh, backgrounds for these goats to be displayed on. But then we go to your page and it's like, everything's pristine. Your employees look happy to be doing what they're doing. Hello. And, (laughs) and you just have all of these cool tools that you use with, with the parlor and the RFD systems that you're using. And, and you're talking about talking to your nutritionist and your vet and, and it's just really cool to see. I, 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 there's part of me that wishes that I could do it, but man, I tell you what, milking over a thousand head of goats, it sounds painful sometimes. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> it's got its days. It's, it's, yeah, got its, it does. You know, it's, it's got its bad days. The, the problem um, on the bad days, you know, they don't, they don't just go from nine to five. Like you can't just have a bad day at work from nine to five. It literally keeps going and going and going until you get the situation resolved um, mm-hmm. because it's your problem to own. But the good days are amazing. And, yeah, I, yeah, I can imagine. Uh, Daniel, did you want to add anything before uh, we clear this out? No, as long as she's coming back, I have, a million more questions to ask. I mean, as I said earlier, I stopped myself from writing more questions. And so we'll definitely have to have a part two. And it was just such a pleasure just learning all about your operation and talking to you and just seeing the advocacy you put into agriculture. And it's something that is much needed and Mm -hmm. definitely, um, you know. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Sincerely, thank you for having me, and um, I would be happy, you know, if we focus on some different topics. Um, I, I know yep. there's something on District 7 today, but um, like you just said, advocacy and policy um, are coming down the pipeline heavily for, for all of us, um, depending mm-hmm. on what parts of the country you're in. We're, we've got a, a prop that might make it on our ballot in November of 2022. Um I won't go into much detail, but it would make simple husbandry practices like AI illegal. Um, so we've, we've got a lot of work to do as an industry. And I think that um, people make the mistake of assuming that because they only have five goats or 10 goats, that they are not included in what it is that some of these groups don't like. And that is, that is a wrong assumption. Um, it will affect yeah all of us, if some of these policies start snowballing. Um, so. It's definitely a scary times for agriculture in many states, including yours, um, Colorado being another one. I mean, it's just, yeah. it's gotten pretty out of hand and a lot of, uh, there's a lot of disconnection when it comes to agriculture. And and I think that your Facebook page uh, definitely, it could probably enlighten some that may not know, um, and I'm going to kind of transition here and say, where can our listeners find you on Facebook uh, and your, and your herd? Sure. So um, we were on Facebook at Grand Ron Dairy. Um, I'm on, boy, I'm not very good about Instagram, but I'm Ag in Oregon um, on Instagram. Also on Facebook, I co-sponsor a Facebook page called Milkshakers 1 to 49. 
And that the premise on that is that only one in 49 people understand where their food comes from. So you're welcome to check that one out as well. Oh, wow. Yeah, for sure. Um, awesome. But- we'll leave a link for that on the show notes. Mm-hmm. Um, Stephanie Milberg Rovi. Grand Ronde, not Grande Ronde. Just Grand Ronde. Grand Ronde. Why do I keep putting the A? You do not have luck with West Coast names. and. I don't think so. I'm going to turn everything Spanish instead of French. Uh, (laughs) It's fine. Grand Ronde Dairy. As soon as I said it the first time, I was like, I'm just going to keep saying it wrong. Why not? It's all right. Uh, (laughs) Well, we appreciate you being on. Uh, sincerely and and look forward to you being on again uh everybody this has been ringside an american dairy goat podcast i'm john and i'm danielle we'll catch you on the next one ringside an american dairy goat podcast is not an affiliate of the american dairy goat association all opinions or information regarding the adga does not represent the registry